Could we stand together in honor of God's word? Haggai chapter 1, verses 1 through 15, if you have a Bible with you. Otherwise, we're going to go straight off the screen up here. In the second year of Darius the king, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came by the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, This people says the time has not come, even the time for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies desolate? Now therefore, says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You've sown much, but harvest little. You eat, but there's not enough to be satisfied. You drink, but there's not enough to become drunk. You put on clothing, but no one is warm enough. And he who earns, earns wages to put into a purse with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountains, bring wood, and rebuild the temple, that I may be pleased with it and be glorified, says the Lord. You look for much, but behold, it comes to little. When you bring it home, I blow it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house, which lies desolate, while each of you runs to his own house. Therefore, because of you, the sky has withheld its dew and the earth has withheld its produce. I called for a drought on the land, on the mountains, on the grain, on the new wine, on the oil, on what the ground produces, on men, on cattle, and on all the labor of your hands. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai, the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent to him. And the people showed reverence for the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke by the commission of the Lord to the people, saying, I am with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up. The spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month in the second year of Darius, the king. Would you please pray with me? Lord, you have something today burning. And I just, I just pray for your grace right now for each one to hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to them. Speak to us individually, speak to us corporately. Holy Spirit, would you help us to have supernatural attention and not be distracted in any way during this message? Please come. Please come and have, have your way in us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. The title of the message is Embracing God's Priorities. Point one is what was happening back then. So we're going, if you've been around for a while, we're going through the story. We're going all the way through the Bible. Um, last week was them being in exile. It was, it was, God, it was called uh, living in exile. Now... The years of exile, the 70 years, are coming to an end. Daniel, in, in Daniel 9, from the prophet Jeremiah, Jeremiah said it's going to be 70 years. And so he is praying that, that God will restore them to the land, that God will move again and bring them out of exile back to the promised land. 
and something amazing happens. A king named Cyrus, the first Persian king, in 535 BC, exactly 70 years after the first group went into exile, um, makes a decree for the Jews to go back and to rebuild their temple, and he says the king is going to pay for it. Now, the reason why this is so powerful is God promised this 180 years earlier through Isaiah. I'm going I'm to read it because it's not just that this would happen, but who would do it? God actually gives Cyrus's name 180 years before the fact. It's Isaiah 45, verses 1 and 4. This is what the Lord says to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I take hold of. For the sake of Jacob, my servant, of Israel, my chosen, I summon you by name and bestow on you a title of honor, though you do not acknowledge me. When they went into captivity, and it was by the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, it says in Daniel chapter 1, verse 3, it says uh, that the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into Nebuchadnezzar's hands. It wasn't Nebuchadnezzar that took them into captivity. It was God taking them into captivity by his hands. And now bringing them back into the land. It's not man. It's not that man had an idea. God is bringing them back. God takes a non-Christian, a non-Israelite, someone that doesn't acknowledge his name and speaks to him so that he can make a statement to his people. I'm in charge here. Proverbs 21.1 says that the heart of the king is in the hands of the Lord like a water course. He makes it go whichever way he wants. That ultimately history will be seen to not be this random thing that's just happening. It will be seen to be his story. God is over all things. God is arranging, working within the depravity and the sin and the choices, the free choices of people. And he is bringing about a bigger picture. 50,000 Jews return at this time. Zerubbabel, a descendant of David, is made their governor. They come back with great excitement. God is moving. They rebuild the altar. They start making sacrifices again. And they lay the foundation of the new temple that is going to be built. And uh, everybody's excited. But then there's some a number of factors that start to discourage them in their building. And for six years, the building slows down. So they're making very little progress. And then after six years, the building completely stops. It stops for 10 years. For 10 years, nobody is working on the temple. And then we have God coming through the prophet Haggai to speak. And that is what our text is. People have accepted that, you know, you know what? It's not time to work on the temple. And, and it, it's, it, for whatever reason, they have convinced themselves and justified them not embracing building the temple as a priority. 
So we're gonna, that's what we're going to talk about today. So here's point two. God's building project today. Here's what, here's what Jesus says. Matthew 16. Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Jesus is doing a play on words. He has, he says, who do you say that I am? And he says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And he says, Peter, flesh and blood did not show this to you. This revelation came from the father. This, you are blessed of the father. And he says, on this rock, and he uses the word Petra, which is bedrock. It's massive. It is bedrock. Upon this bedrock, I am going to build my church. The bedrock is the revelation that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. And your name will be Peter. And he uses the word Petros, which means one stone. And I'm going to use you, Peter. And I'm going to build my church. So here is 1 Peter 2. So this is Peter's own description of the church. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. See, I lay a stone, for in scripture it says, for see, I lay a stone in, in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. So we've got this bedrock, which is Jesus Christ, this is the way in. God has laid the human race. He set this stone in Zion, and it is a stumbling stone. You either stumble over him and go into spiritual darkness, or you believe in him, and you will never be disappointed. Not ultimately, anyway. And, and, but he says, you, but God's building something today. We're living stones. He's building us together to be a dwelling place for his presence. And oftentimes when we think about being filled with the Holy Spirit, we think of it being as just me, that I'm, I'm filled with the Spirit. And there is a personal level of it. But folks, the full manifestation of God's glory is it can't be carried by you or me. It has to be us. There's some things God will do for you. There's some things he'll do for me. But there are some things he will only do for us. So he is building stones together today. Living stones. Which sounds kind of cool. Except that the, the, the brick and mortar of the Old Testament, chiseling those together to build that temple... How many know that's a lot easier than putting together living stones? 
There's a lot of agendas going. There's a lot of energy. There's a lot of bitterness. You start putting the stones together and and there's offense. Um, Proverbs 27, 17 says, as uh, iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another that we come together and there's a clash, isn't there? And so Jesus is speaking about what he is building. He's building a church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. And then he goes on in Matthew 18 and he says, listen, when there's offense, when there's hurt, when there's sin, you you forgive and then you go and try to win your brother. And if that doesn't work, get two other people to go. And if that doesn't work, bring the church in. But make relationships right. Get, Get things right. Get the stones together. Forgive each other, work together, love each other. There's a reason why he commands them. This is my new command. Love one another. As I've loved you, love one another. The reason why he gives a command is because it's not going to be easy. If it was just natural, he wouldn't have to make a command. We've got a command. Love one another. And then he goes on in Matthew 18. After things are reconciled, he says, if two of you will agree together and ask the Father, there's going to be great authority. Whatever you ask, it will be done. For, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, I will come. I will be there with my manifest presence. God is everywhere at once. God is in all of us that know Christ. But he says, where two or three come together in agreement for my name, for my glory, I'm going to add a a manifestation of my presence. Jesus today is on a building project. He's building his church. Point three. Why the work goes so slowly. If Jesus is indeed building his church, why is it going so slowly? Great question. Number one, demonic resistance. In verse two of chapter four of Ezra, the first strategy of the enemies that that this is a threat to them. This temple being rebuilt is a threat. They say, we want to help you build it. And they say, no, we're not letting you help us. And then in verse four, then the peoples around them set out to discourage the people of Judah and to make them afraid to go on building. They bribed officials to work against them and frustrate their plans during the entire reign of Cyrus, king of Persia, down to the reign of Darius, king of Persia. There is organized, intentional resistance against the building. And the first strategy is this. We will help you build. We will build with you. I already read to you Matthew 16, 16 through 18, where Jesus says to Peter, you're, you're, you're Peter. You're, you're, gonna, you're, you're, you're the, the first stone that I'm building in this temple. Now I'm going to give you the rest of the verses, starting in 19. Still speaking to Peter. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. 
From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed on the third day and be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. One translation says you don't have in mind uh, the things of God or the interests of God, but the interests of man. One says the, um, the things of, not the things of God, but the things of man. So Peter, the one who is supposed to be a key, gets his own idea of how to build. He gets his own idea with energy. This is never going to happen to you. This isn't how we're going to do it. We're going to do it this way. And Jesus says to the guy he just put in charge, you, have, you are now blocking me. The very one that was supposed to be the, the first follower, the first listener to Jesus already had said, I'm going to build my, he didn't say you're going to build my church, I'm going to build my church, you need to get instructions from me. But Peter brings his own idea, and instead of being a key to open, he is a stumbling block to God. Why are we going so slow? Because there is a demonic resistance and the devil has got his own ideas. And he'll give them to you. And he will disguise them not as his ideas, but as your idea. And then he'll put a little pride with it. And pretty soon, you've got all this energy for this idea. And you're going all wholehearted with it. And you'll do anything to get it. Because you've got a dream. Because you've got a dream for the church. Or how the church should be built. Or what the church should do. And you've got it. And you've got it with energy. And you don't realize it, we're just wasting time. Our ideas are not going to work. Pastor Tom, why are you so excited about this? Uh, I, I, I learned this the hard way. It was the mid-90s. We're in Montevideo. We had just had a great success as a church. We had built a brand new youth center. We, we raised the money in one year. We built it debt-free. The, the building of it brought the whole church together. Just this beautiful new youth center. And so, you know, why, why did this all happen? Well, I, I got an idea of why. I had a vision, folks. We're going we're gonna to start a school of discipleship. We're going to bring people from all over the country, yay, even the world. Young people that are out of high school, and we're going to disciple them here. And we're going to provide, we're this farming community, we were, we're going to house them, and we're going to, we're going to make them disciples of Jesus Christ. And I, I got so excited about this, and I made up this brochure, and we, we spent a lot of money making this brochure, and then we, we made this booth for the National Convention, and I went to the National Convention. We did a mailing to every church that we had, and, and this is starting the School of Discipleship. I spent for six months every day praying about it. So excited. We're going to change the world. We're, we're, this is going to be a hot spot for God. 
Montevideo, Minnesota. We're going to raise up these young men and women, and it's going to be amazing. I had curriculum. I had, I had it all. It was all set up. Six months later, we had given, it was all going to start in September, and August was the deadline for all these applications that had gone out. I had sent this out to every senior pastor in our fellowship and explained it with energy and showed them the new youth center and went to the national, handed out this stuff, and, well, the deadline came, and we had two people from Montevideo that said they might be interested. And I had to deal with something. I had to deal with the fact that from the beginning, this was my idea. It was my idea that I was bringing to God. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't ideas that God bring, brings to us and that they have to go through a death process so that he can resurrect them, and that God can give you a vision for your life, and he can drop it in there and then kill it and then raise it from the dead. But folks, I wanna to submit to you that sometimes the vision you're so excited about, and you have so much energy for, and you're, and you're begging God to bless, sometimes it's just not God. And here's the funny thing, I had a chance to resurrect it. We had a prophet come. He was a good friend of mine. He knew how much I'd put into this. And he said, he said, the reason why this didn't is because people were disobedient. People that were supposed to be disobedient. I, I stopped. I said, bro, I know what you're doing. Don't even go there. I own this. This was me. This was me. There were so many signs all along that it was me. When something becomes more exciting to you than Jesus Christ... And your vision for him is more exciting than he is? It's probably you. It's probably just you. And you will have a chance to blame everybody else of why that vision didn't come to pass. And just, I'm going to hold on to it because this is what God gave me. Did he? Did he give it to you? Or did, is it your own idea that you gave to God? Which is, which is it? So what happened? For six months, this was what I did. This was where my energy was. I could have been building his church. I could have been giving my time and energy to the things of the spirit, to building the people, to reaching people. But I spent six months on my own idea, doing my own thing with my own energy. All the prayers that I prayed about God blessing my thing could have been used to pray for other people's stuff that was actually God. Do you see why the kingdom is being, or the church is being built so slowly? See, Jesus lets us do our own thing. He lets us be a stumbling block to him. He gives you the authority. You can be a key or you can be a stumbling block. Enemy wants to try to give us our own ideas. Touch a little pride, and nobody can talk to us anymore because we're going to do it this way. And if you're if you're not on board with it, that's because you don't hear God, and I do, and da da da. I I just know the whole thing. God, why do you let people get off like that? Why do you let people get on their own agenda? Why do you, uh, he just 
He honors free will, doesn't he? He's about relationship, not robots, doesn't he? So he brings us to the end of ourselves. Uh, please, please don't wait for God to have to do it some other way. If, it, if, if this is speaking to you today, let go of it. It's, it's actually a relief. This thing that had to happen, that God spoke to you, or that, and, and just let go of it. Lord, and it's hard to tell sometimes. Is this, did this idea come from God to me, or did I give my idea to God? It's hard to tell. That's why I always pray fire. God, burn away my ideas and let your ideas surface. Secondly, why does the work go slowly? Discouragement. First, the rubble of the old. Listen to Zechariah. Zechariah and Haggai prophesied together at the same time. Here's what Zechariah said to Zerubbabel, who is the governor. This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel saying, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. What are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you will become a plain, and he will bring forth the top stone with shouts of grace, grace to it. It's hard to grab a hold of what is going on here. Here's the problem. We're building the temple. The old temple that was destroyed was massive, and all of the debris, all of the junk from the old temple has to be cleared before we can build a new one. So there's this, this pile, it's like a mountain of burned up stones and wood and broken stuff, and it's massive, and it is very, very discouraging that before we build the new thing, we gotta get rid of the old. Has anybody ever been discouraged by the rubble of your old stuff? All the old, the piles of old stuff, the old guilt, old sin, old shame, old addiction, old, and then there's not just the piles of your junk. Have you ever noticed anybody else's junk? Have you ever walked through this world and said, ooh, that's a wounded person. That's a hurt person. I wonder what happened to them. And this isn't just unbelievers, this is believers. And there's this pile of ruins that we easily make our identity in, that we easily get stuck in, and we start making a little progress in God, we go right back to our old way, our old sin, our old thing, and immediately we have a voice saying us, see, you've never, you, you, you didn't change. See, they didn't change. And then you can actually become so cynical that you can actually believe no one changes. That all the gospel is, is forgiveness. We, no one ever gets better. No one ever gets more beautiful or more powerful. Gospel is just about forgiveness and God just forgives us. And so we can live in this discouragement as Christians and just absolutely cynical of anybody changing. And they're staring at the pile. And the prophet Zechariah comes and says, he says this to Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel, you're looking at the wrong thing. It's not going to be by your might or by your power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. He said, I'll tell you what to say to this mountain. 
you start speaking grace to it. Grace. Grace. The grace of God. You're going to speak to this mountain in the name of the Lord, and it's going to be removed. And he says, you just keep speaking grace, because I prophesy by the name of the Lord that, that Zerubbabel will not only clear the old mountain, he's going to be the one that's going to set the capstone on the new temple. This is going to happen, and it's going to be by the grace of God. Folks, the Bible says the devil is the accuser of the brethren. The easiest thing in the world, in fact, the most natural thing to do is to just take up his accusation about yourself and about your spouse and about your family and about the church and just, yep, you could find out everything wrong with everybody. And God's saying something else. You're looking at the wrong thing. You're looking at what man can do, what man can become, what man's energy can do. He says, I'm not using man's energy. This is about my grace, not by might or power, not by human will, but by my spirit, says the Lord. You start looking at your own life. You start looking at, and I want you to come into agreement with what I'm saying. Because here's what I'm saying. Grace. Where sin has abounded, grace will abound all the more. The word in Greek is superabound. I am going to pour out my grace. I'm going to pour out my spirit. And I am going to make you beautiful. I'm going to make you powerful. I'm going to bring you together. I'm going to put these stones together. And I need somebody to start agreeing with me. Somebody's got to stop looking at the rubble and start saying, Grace. Grace. Listen to this. Ezra 5, 1 and 2. When the prophets, Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Idu, prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the, Lord, the God of Israel who was over them, then Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, and Jeshua, the son of Jazadek, arose and began to rebuild the house of God in Jerusalem. And the prophets were with them, supporting them. We used to live in Faustin, Minnesota, way, way up by Canada, right, right up by Grand Forks near Canada. And it's cold country. It's just cold. And so what they have up there is every, every car has a frost plug. You, you have to, you put it onto your battery, it comes out and you, and so it's, you can plug your car in at night. You get to a power source, you get a long extension cord, and you plug in so that your car will start. Well, the problem is sometimes you're not near a power source. Sometimes I'd, I'd get out of church and, just to give you an idea how cold it can get there, <laughs> we experience 58 below, real temperature, not wind chill. Real, real temperature. You know what happens in 58 below? You throw a cup of coffee in the air and it disappears. I'm not kidding you. If you go to church, you go to church, I'm in my office, I'm working all day, I come out and my car doesn't start. Here's what I don't think to myself. Oh my, I need a new car. I need, a, I need a new engine. Something is horribly, horribly wrong. No, it's not a big deal. I need, I need a jump. I find, call somebody, or if somebody's in the church, they pull their car over, we hook up the, the uh, jumper cables, and we get a jump. This is how the prophetic works today, folks. This is what the prophetic is for. Elijah thought he was done. 
He's in this cave of discouragement. He tells God, take me home. I'm done. I can't do anything else. I'm discouraged. I'm beyond myself with discouragement. And God says, no, you don't even have a big problem. Just go out on the front patio. I'm going to whisper something to you. And one word from God, boom, you're back. You're going. See, the enemy will try to get you to think that you need a new engine, that the whole thing is horrible, that you'll never get back to God. No, that's not it at all. All the equipment's there. You're born again. You've got the new nature. It's all ready to go. All you need is a fresh word. All you need is a fresh word. Get up. Get up again. Get up again. I'm trusting the Holy Spirit to give you that fresh word today. Do you know why the Bible was given? It says in Romans 15, 4, that the, all that was written in the, for, for all time, everything that was written was to teach us so that we would be able to persevere because the scriptures give us encouragement and hope. The eternal word of God. So here's what happened in the midst of it. They started building again, and people came complaining. The attack came, and they, and they said, you know what? We need to settle this. Let's go back and ask the actual king. At this time, it's Darius, not the one in Daniel. Daniel's was a Mede king. This is a Persian king later. Let's write to Darius and find out if this is the will of the king. So they write to Darius. Darius checks the archives. They go back to Cyrus's decree, and the king has decreed not only that a temple will be built, but that it will be paid for by the government. So Darius writes back to them and he says, listen, stop bothering those workers. And here's some fresh resources. I want this temple built. It has been decreed by an ancient king. Do you know that Jesus has made a decree to build his church? Do you know that if you get into the word of God and you find out what the word of God, the decree has been, I am building my church. Jesus is going to have his church. He's promised it. See, sometimes people, here's what happened in that day. They were, they were, they had laid, they just got done with that, that first foundation and there was joy that they had gotten that far, that they had done that much. And so there's people laughing and rejoicing and we need to party. And at the very same time, there's a whole nother group crying. And the, and the Bible says they're crying because they had seen the first temple and like, this is nothing. This is nothing compared to what we had. Zechariah comes to Zerubbabel and he says this, don't despise the day of small beginnings. You're, you're going to, it's really hard when there's a mountain of rubble, it's really hard to get rid of that first rock because all you're thinking of is this is going to take forever. So here's what God spoke to Haggai to all the people that were weeping because what we're building is so small and pitiful compared to what we used to have. Here's what he said to him. He said, the glory of the latter temple, the one you're building now, is going to be greater than Solomon's temple. 
I, right. And they're just like, what? What? In the glory days, Solomon builds this massive temple with gold. And he says, listen, the one you're building is going to have greater glory. And then he says, why? Because the desire of all nations is going to come. And do you know that Jesus came to that temple? The temple we read about, that's the one Jesus was in. It wasn't as big as Solomon's, but do you know that glory in a temple is not how it looks like on the outside, it's who's on the inside? There was greater glory. So here's what's happening in the church. People get excited about our church and what, what God's doing in the church. And then they read the book of Acts. And they're like, uh, I don't see the dead being raised. I don't see people coming out of wheelchairs. I don't see 3,000 people being saved in one day. Where is the glory? God turned the world over in the baby church in Acts. And you look at today's church and you're like, uh, <laughs> I don't think so. Even with all of our technology and our big buildings and our air conditioning and cushion pews and multimedia and we can make it look big, we can even have smoke coming out of that stuff and turn the music way up. You know what? Uh, that's not what I'm reading about in Acts. I'm reading about pure power. I'm, I'm reading about the glory of God through regular human beings changing the world because of the miraculous. Pastor Tom, what do, you, what do you do with that? I'll tell you what the prophetic word of the Lord is. The early church and what happened in Acts that you read about, you mark this, will pale in comparison to the church God is building right now. Why? How can you be so sure? Here's why. Jesus said, I will build my church. Have you noticed there's no human being involved in it? There's nobody there to mess it up. Jesus is going to build his church. It might take him a while. You could make the argument, it has taken him a while. But he said, I'm going to have my church. He prayed to the Father, Father, make them one, then the world will believe. Do you know that, that Jesus always gets his prayers answered? The Father will have a church. It says it in Ephesians 4, that apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers are given to the church until the church grows up into the fullness of the knowledge. That word is intimacy with Christ and the fullness of unity up into the full man. No longer tossed back and forth by human opinion. Jesus is going to have his church, folks. He's going to have a beautiful powerful church and there is an end times harvest this is not me prophesying this is this is right from the ancient words of the king but i'll tell you what the prophets are prophesying today there is no more exciting time to be alive than today god is building his church it's time that we get off of focusing on the rubble and start speaking grace grace to ourselves grace to our families grace to those around us let's See what God is doing. He's putting the church together in this hour for a habitation of his glory. Not for a visit from heaven, but for a habitation from heaven. Okay. Distraction. And of course, that's what's going on here. 
Nobody is against the temple. All had started building the temple. They just got distracted. Usually distraction starts with discouragement. You get discouraged about something. Sometimes it, it was your idea that didn't work, and so now you're discouraged. I'll just be on the sidelines. Sometimes it's, it, you just get wore down, and, and so here's what they did. They all just neglected the temple. They neglected what God was building, and they started building their own thing. Still had their own relationship, their own personal relationship with Jesus, but I'm going to work on my house. I'm going to work on my stuff. I'm going to give my stuff to my priorities, and I'm going to still have this relationship with God. And God comes and, and says this, listen, I need you to start listening to your life because I'm, I've been trying to talk to you for a long time. It's not working. Your life is not working. Your relationships are not working. Your finances are not working. I have ordained your life to not work while you're working on your own thing instead of my thing. I want you to embrace my priorities. And I am trying to wake you out of your distraction to get back to the, the first thing, to the thing that I'm building. I want you to help me build this. So here's what happens with Peter, the first stone. After the resurrection, Jesus appears to them the first time in Jerusalem. They are so excited. He is alive. Then a week later, they're still in Jerusalem, and now Thomas is with them, and Thomas sees him, and, and everybody's on board, and this is so exciting. We're going to do something for God. But then here's what happens. They go back to Galilee. Galilee is their hometown. It's where, it's where they grew up. It's where everything is the way that it normally was. And so Peter goes back to fishing. It's the first time he's gone back to fishing since he was originally called. We can imagine that he's discouraged because he was the leader for a while and he, he denied Christ three times and he's probably just kind of retreating. Maybe, maybe God's changed his mind. Maybe I used to be called to be a leader, but I kind of blew it and I'm, I love Jesus, but I'm just going to be a fisherman. Why can't I just accept that I'm just a fisherman? And Jesus is, appears the third time, it says. And he says, children, they, they had fished all night, just like the original call. They had fished all night and caught nothing. Jesus said, have you caught nothing? They said, no, we haven't. Just put, the, put the net on the other side. They make this massive catch, and immediately John says, it's the Lord. And they come in, and they're around the fire, and Jesus says these words to Peter. Do you love me, Peter? Yeah, I love you, Jesus then I need you to make a commitment to my church. I need you to feed my people. Do you love me, Peter? Yes, Lord, I love you. Then I need you to take my heart and shepherd my people. Do you love me, Peter? Yes, Lord, I love you. I need you to tend my lambs. I need you to embrace what I have, am building. He didn't say, Peter, do you think you're a good shepherd? He didn't say, Peter, do you think sheep are easy to work with? Do you think you'd like working with sheep for a living? He didn't ask him that. He said, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Then I need you to embrace my priority. So this is the last point, the reward of embracing God's 
priorities. Notice with Peter, God doesn't make you. If you're just going to be about your own thing and I'm against organized religion, I'm going to do my own thing and just have my own little relationship with Jesus, um, uh, you'll probably make it to heaven. I know for a fact you won't get God's fullest blessing on you down here. I know that for sure. You, You can't have it apart from embracing his love for his church. There's work to be done. There's work to be done. We need to forgive each other. We need to encourage each other. We need to prophesy to each other. We need to come together so that we can be a place of habitation for his glory. So he gives, he gives rewards to those who embrace his priorities. Haggai chapter 2 verse 19. God speaks this to Haggai. They've, they've started working on the temple. They, they, it's funny. It didn't take that long. Once everybody got working in unity, it didn't take that long. They started working on it. And God says, I want you to look back to the day you gave yourself to this because you've been blessed. I've blessed everything you have since then. Listen, listen to Psalm uh, 81, 19. The Lord gave me, or 13 through 16. I got this when I was in Faustin. Oh, that my people would listen to me. That Israel would walk in my ways. His ways are his priorities. Oh, that Israel would embrace my priorities. I would quickly subdue their enemies. That means spiritual authority. Our enemies today are demonic. You will walk in greater spiritual authority if you'll embrace God's priorities. Those who hate the Lord will pretend obedience to him. That's your witness. There will be time of punishment forever, but I would feed you with the finest of wheat. That's natural provision. And honey from the rock would I satisfy you. That is God's spiritual, supernatural honey. That's that's the, the goodness of God being tasted in your life. This is what God has for you and I. Do you do you hear his longing? Oh! Oh! If my people only knew, if they would just embrace my ways, if they would embrace my priorities, I would, right now, the enemies that are oppressing them would be subdued. The provision that is eluding them, I would make for them. Psalm 132. Powerful, powerful psalm. There's probably no one like this. Well, God called David the man after his own heart. Here's why he's the man after God's own heart. David was all in on God's priorities. He says in Psalm 132, I will not give sleep to my eyes, nor will I rest in my bed until I have made a dwelling place on earth for the Lord's presence. I give myself to this. He makes this vow to God. This is what I'm about. I'm about making a place for your presence. I'm not about my kingdom. I'm not about getting a new car. I'm not about having a perfect life. I am about making a place for your presence. And God, we don't don't have any idea how our prayers affect God. God just, God is so moved by prayer, by by David's prayer, and by his heart to embrace his prayers. Here's what God says. Listen, David, okay, you're going to do that. Okay, good. I'm making a vow to you. Vow number one. Your descendants are always going to be before. I'm going to give you fruit that will last forever and ever. Fruit number two, there's going to be an abundance of provision in your house and your priest. I'm just going to, I'm going to, I'm going to see because you're aiming for my stuff. I'm going to make sure you're taken care of. And then thirdly, your priests from now on are going to experience my joy. 
There's going to be a joy released. So here's how I'll end. So I grew up in a family with six children. My dad ran a newspaper, the the local newspaper. My mom taught English. And uh, we, we we didn't have a garage. We had a carport. You might not know what a carport is. A carport is just this, it's a roof that the car goes under. And then we had a little storage shed on the front of it. And that storage shed, if you can imagine this, we've got eight people in the house. Whenever anybody wanted to get rid of something, they threw it in that storage shed. It was horrible. It was just a mountain of rubble in there. And it was, everybody was so busy and, and, and you just, you just, it just, it just became messy and really messy for long periods of time. And once in a while, dad would pull Jimmy and I out and he would say, it's time to clean up the shed. That was a bad day. I remember one time he said, I'm going away. I'm going to be gone all afternoon. I want this shed clean by the time I'm back. And Jimmy and I, we understood the command. We understood what was being asked of us. And then we got ourselves out there. We're, we're among this disaster out there. And we intended to clean it. But, you know, it's really easy for young boys to be distracted. Pretty soon, we'd, we'd find a ball, we'd be throwing the ball back and forth, we'd be playing, then pretty soon we're out in the street playing with it, and, and there, there's no worse sound than dad's car coming back <laughs> when we, we never really embraced his priority. So, so there were other times dad had a different strategy that was way more successful. He would pull Jimmy and I aside and say, hey, how would you, how'd you boys like to go to a Brewer game tonight? Are you kidding me? We listened to the Brewers on the radio every day. We were so into the Brewers. To go into County Stadium and actually see, how would you boys like to go? Yes. Okay. I want you to clean the garage first. (laughs) Soon as that garage is cleaned, we're going to the County Stadium. Do you know how quickly we embraced his priority? (laughs) Because he touched our priority. See, the Bible says, seek first the kingdom of God. And all these other things will be taken care of. Father loves you. Father's generous. Once in a while, that formula doesn't work. Sometimes we're, we're persecuted for Jesus' sake. Sometimes, we talked about last week, people die for Jesus' sake. And what about that? Uh, Jesus says, listen, if you get persecuted because of me, rejoice. Your reward in heaven is great. You know what Paul said? These momentary light afflictions are not to be compared to the weight of eternal glory that is going to be ours. See, God's got all eternity to reward us. Whatever reward you don't get here, don't worry. There there will be payback. In the end, none, none that put their trust in Jesus will be disappointed in the end. This is a really good deal for us, folks. Could we stand to our feet? You just open your arms before the Lord.
Lord, I just, I just trust that you've been here today and that you've been speaking to hearts. Lord, I think of the pain that came into my heart when I realized that the school of discipleship that I was so excited about wasn't your idea. And Lord, if somebody just got caught today because their idea, their thought that they've been given a lot of energy to and they just realized today, it's, it's not God. Would you just show them your gentleness? You're not yelling at them. It was good that they wanted to do something for you. But God, would you take your scalpel as the master surgeon, just cut that thing out, just burn it up in Jesus' name. And then right behind it, Lord, start speaking to them about what you are doing and what your ideas are about their life. Lord, for those who have been discouraged by their own sin, their own lack of progress, the lack of progress of the body of Christ, the lack of progress of each other, for those who have really despised the day of small beginnings and said, I, I can't even believe there's anything going on here. Jesus, right now, I speak grace to them. I speak grace to their hearts. I speak grace for you. I speak grace for your spouse. I speak grace for your family. I speak grace for the church. Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. I am doing something by my own grace, by my own generosity. And I'm calling you out of discouragement to join me. Lord, just jump every car in here that thought it would, we, I, need, I, I need a new car because this one's dead. Nope, you just need to jump. Jump them today in Jesus' name. And then, Father, probably the biggest category is what the text is about, which is just distraction. We, we kind of want the church to prosper. We kind of want your purposes to go forward, but we just got our own stuff going. And in America, it's so easy to have my own personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And it's easy to take up the suspicion about organized religion because of all the rubble that's happened. Lord, I pray for all of us that we would hear your voice. Do you love me? Then I want you to own my church. I want you to feed my church. I want you to care for my church. I, I want you to take care of the lambs, the little ones. I, I want you to embrace my feelings about my church. Oh, I know you've been hurt, and I know you failed, and I know it's really hard. I know all that. Do you love me? I'm calling you again to embrace my priority, to burn with my priority and then get ready because I'm going to quickly subdue all of your enemies. I'm going to quickly subdue your addictions. I'm going to quickly subdue those voices. I am going to personally come and see that your enemies lose their hold on you. I am going to bless you in ways that you, all you will know is God is blessing me. Lord, we haven't seen what the fullness of your blessing looks like. And then, God, I pray for this church. Yes. Lord, part of my passion is what I see happening, I can't do it myself. 
I'm only one stone. We, we, the stones got to come together for the real glory. And even this church itself can't do it alone. We need the other churches in this region. We, we, you're building your church together as a dwelling place for the glory of God. That this world once again will know that Jesus is alive. They will know that Jesus does miracles still today. That when all of the world's answers are over, that God still has an answer. So Lord, for your own glory, for our good, and for the good of this world, we say together, Lord, put, put the stones together, Jesus. I forgive the other stones. <laughs> I, 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 go ahead and cut off my pride. If that's, if that's keeping the stones from coming together, then go ahead and cut that thing off. Fit us together for your glory. And fill this temple with your presence. We love you, Jesus. Amen.